Do you guys ever get nervous when I just walk up here? Like, what is he about to say? Like, is that something that goes through your head? What did you say? <laughs> yeah, maybe with the title Imperfect Mothers, you might be like, hey, what is he, what's going on here? Happy Mother's Day, officially, from me. Um, not just physical mothers, but spiritual mothers as well. And really, all women we can celebrate today. Uh, because they have a very important role um, in keeping us men in check, but also being kind, um, and many other things. If you remember, if you were here for Mother's Day last year, uh, I interviewed my mom, um, talked about uh, her experience as a mother and uh, some of the spiritual mothers she had in her life. And my mom is, is awesome. I mean, she was a great physical mom, biological mom to me, a great spiritual mom, um, and it's, she is just awesome. And I haven't just realized that later in life. I've realized it early in my life, too. And I have proof. Um, I was in first grade when I wrote this note in my composition book for uh, school. So it's hard to read, but here it is. Um, You'll notice the date is 5-12-03, which is the day after his mother's day, which is Sunday 5-11-03. Um, I was in first grade. I had, hadn't moved to Ohio, or Ohio yet. I was still in South Carolina at this point. So this is what I wrote the next day. Luckily, my teacher uh, helped fill in the correct words where I misspelled things. But I'll just read it to you as is, and then I'll go back and fill in the blanks. So this is what it says. We gave her craft in bed. We gave her prazit. We gave her lists, is, and hugs. We ate on the gill, and mom shot the bee gun. So, what I actually was trying to say was uh, we gave her breakfast in bed. We gave her presents. We gave her kisses and hugs. We ate on the grill, and mom shot the bee bee gun. Um, which is what we were really trying to say, but chot the bee gun sounds way more fun. It sounds like that's my like true southern South Carolina living right there. She chot the bee gun. <laughs> so the day after Mother's Day, I don't know if the teacher maybe had a journal prompt, like what did you do for Mother's Day or something like that, or maybe it was just like free. I don't remember. That was a long time ago, but whatever the case is, I wrote this down. Because as a seven-year-old, if your mom, you're just done eating burgers, and your mom pulls up the BB gun and starts shooting it with you in the backyard, that's pretty cool. I mean, that makes your mom the coolest mom ever. But even though my mom was awesome and she chopped a BB gun, that doesn't make her perfect, right? Even though she is loving and kind and helpful and patient and dedicated and hardworking and put up with me, she isn't perfect. She is imperfect, in fact, quantifiably, demonstrably, unequivocally imperfect. And all of your moms are. And if you're a mom, you are too. Mackenzie, don't reassure her. Jill, you aren't perfect either. (laughs) You're very sweet. I love you very much. I love all of you. But none of us are perfect. But I think we run into this problem where both culturally and biblically, we run into these ideas of of perfect motherhood, 
right? We, we see these super moms on Facebook who are like doing these awesome fun things with their kids while they run their side business and they're exercising and eating right and they have a social life and they're writing a book in their spare time. You're like, what? How did you do that? And then you come to church and you hear teaching about how uh, you need to be the ideal godly woman from Proverbs 31. And you look at how all these amazing women in the Bible and you, you're told about what you're supposed to be to God and what you're supposed to be to your husband and what you're supposed to be to your family and your friends and what kind of relationships and boundaries. And you, you, hear, you hear a lot, both culturally and biblically, about what it means to be a perfect woman, a perfect mother. And it maybe it becomes overwhelming. Even an awesome mom, like my mom, who dropped a bee gun with me when I was seven, diligently took care of me, loved me a lot, can't be perfect. So maybe you felt like you've been struggling as a mother or a grandmother or a spiritual mom or uh, in other relationships where you're, you are, can't do everything that you feel like you're supposed to be doing. So today I want us to look at a very important mother in Scripture and get a what I call realistic view. A realistic view of her life. And see what we can learn from God's word today. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. I should have brought my BB gun. That was a missed opportunity. How often do you get to bring a BB gun in a church? In the first 12 chapters of Genesis, um, we see the creation of the world. We see the beginning of sin, we see when people fall, and we see wickedness increase, right? Uh, things are just getting worse, people are getting further and further away from God, we get the flood and Tower of Babel and all that, and then we get into this genealogy, and it leads to Abram, and God is going to start making his people. It, it, the first 11 chapters set the stage for chapter 12, where God is going to start trying to fix the wickedness and, and all the sin and all the messed up things. This is really the beginning of the beginning. This is, well, Genesis 1 is the beginning of the beginning. This is the beginning of where Scripture really starts its narrative form and starts to take off and you follow individuals and genealogies and you really see the foundations of what God is doing being set. So let's look at Genesis 12, 1 through 5. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the ones who curse you I will curse. And in all of your families on the earth and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. Lot was his uh, nephew. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the person which they, persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. So here we are. We're looking at our two, our two main people are in view this morning, Abram and Sarai, his wife Sarai. Notice that God says 
to Abram and Sarai. Well, you, he specifically talks to Abram. But you're not going to pack up and leave your home and move to nowhere without your wife's approval. Okay, I'm just telling you now, that's not going to happen. Yeah, she needs to be on board with whatever's going on. So Abram and Sarai are going to be the starting people. You, you, Abraham, Abram can't have a kid by himself, all right? Sarai is very crucial to this plan. And they are both going to be the start of this nation. And, and through them, they're going to bless the earth. But the tricky thing is about this is that Abram and Sarai aren't spring chickens, all right? They're old, Sorry. Um, they're uh, they're distinguished. They're distinguished. Yeah, they're mature. They're very mature, past the age of childbearing, and past the age where you want to get up and move and start something new, like a nation. So, when people are seventy-five, they're not really thinking about uprooting. And biologically, it should be impossible for Sarai to get pregnant. But we see both of them have faith, right? This great faith, Abram and Sarai. And they leave. They, do, they get everything they have and they leave their family and their old life behind. And they move to the middle of Canaan because God said so. So this um, story goes on, right? Um, and it's a joint effort. Everything that they're doing. But we, what we're going to see is that uh, instead of it being a smooth highway of faith and everything going well, uh, Sarai and Abram's life is more like a roller coaster, a spiritual roller coaster. So at the end of chapter 12, they make their way to Egypt, which is past Canaan. And when they get there, Pharaoh's like, Oh, Sarai, you're pretty cute. Do uh, you want to be my wife? Um, and Abram was like, Hmm, what do I do? Instead of saying, No, she's my wife. He says, nah, she's my sister. It's all cool. That's kind of weird. Messed up. Uh, and it winds him in the situation where Abram is being deceitful, or deceitful. So Sarai, because Abram doesn't want to be killed. Um, and then God talks to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's like, whoa, why are you lying to me? Here, take all your stuff and leave. Okay, get kicked. He's kicked him out. And this is like the first real mistake that we see Sarai make in Abram. It's like, wow, uh, you've just moved across the world and here you are uh, lying and deceiving and messing things up. It was a joint mistake to be sure, but they both played their part in it, um, Sarai included. So the story goes on, but they still haven't had a child. And this whole childless thing starts to really become a problem for them. And they realize that they're not having this baby, so Abram thinks that maybe, hey, uh, I have this really trusted servant, Eliezer. Maybe God's just going to use him, you know, as part of my household to, to bring this faith. And God said, no, you are going to have a biological child. It's going to be your kid who I'm going to form this nation through. And he's like, okay, whatever you say there, buddy. So as time goes on, they're still not conceiving. Okay? Which is where we get to chapter 16. Look at what Sarai does in this moment of desperation and frustration. No child living in this place that God called you to. Where is this baby? It's not here. So now Sarai, 
Genesis 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not borne him a child, but she had an Egyptian slave woman whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please have relations with my slave woman. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And so after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, it's been ten years, Abram's wife, um, Sarai, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her slave woman, and gave her to her husband, Abram, and his wife. Now then he had relations with Hagar, and she conceived. And when Hagar became aware that she had conceived, her mistress was insignificant in her sight. So Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be upon you. I put my slave woman into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was insignificant in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram's like, well, hold on. Hold on. Look, she's your slave woman. It's in your power. Do it whatever you want. Like, whatever you think is good, you can handle it. And so Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. So this is another one of Sarai's really big recorded moments of weakness and big mistake here, right? Like, really a big mistake. It was a joint failure. Abram was not faultless. Abram should have said, you know, maybe that's not what we should do. And Sarai shouldn't have the idea in the first place. But they they do have this problem. And it leads to a broken family and a very tense relational situation. And you can imagine the tension that would have been in the air every single time Sarah and Hagar were in the same tent. They didn't really have rooms when they were in the same place. Sarah's indignation got so bad that Hagar decided, no, I would rather just go into the wilderness and try to fend for myself than stay here. And that's what she did. An angel of the Lord appears and says, nope, go back. So Hagar goes back to the camp. She gives birth, names the son Ishmael. And this whole sidestepping of God's plan by, by the way he wants things to get done has led to thousands of year old conflict between Islam and Judaism, Ishmael's descendants and, as we're going to find, Isaac's descendants. So much of the Middle East unrest, much of the problems in the Middle East come from this decision right here. Uh, talk about a big mistake with a long-lasting impact. So finally, Ishmael is born, and Abram is 86 years old at this point. They had not had their own child, and it's been 10 years after they moved. They're probably wondering, God, what's going on? You can see why this situation started to seem desperate. So another 13 years pass. Abram is 99 years old at this point. And God tells him again that he's going to make him a great nation through Sarai. And Abram's like, okay, it's been 23 years since you originally called me. And he laughed. He's like, okay. <laughs> and a part of this covenant this time around that God makes is circumcision. And he, he gives Abram that rule. And at this point is when their names change. God is kind of resetting things. He's making the covenant official. And he says, you know what? You're not Abram anymore. You're now Abraham. Sarah is no longer Sarai, but Sarai is now going to be Sarah. So let's look at Genesis chapter 17, 15 through 19. And let's see what God says to Abram. 
Then God said to Abram, as, your, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her Sarah, but you shall call her Sarah. I will bless her, and indeed, I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old, and will Sarah who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. So God is very clear. You and Sarah are going to have this baby. So these next chapter, not soon after this conversation with God, three strangers come along and they give this statement. They're messengers of God. Chapter 18, look at verse 9. So these strangers said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, There in the tent. And he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening. She was just like standing by the, the door the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abram and Sarah were old, advanced in age. That's a good way of saying it. And Sarah was past childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself when she heard this, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being also old? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? saying, I shall indeed bear a child when I am so old. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. At this time next year, Sarah will have a son. Definitive. Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh. She was afraid. And he said, no. But you did laugh. You did. Yeah, you can't hide it. You, you laughed. But you were mocking. Once again, this does not look good for Abraham and Sarah. Sarah literally laughed at God and his promise that she's going to have a baby. Admittedly, uh, I understand perhaps where she's coming from. It's been 23 years. She's very advanced in age. And it doesn't seem possible to her. Which is why the messenger says, is anything too difficult for Yahweh? A rhetorical question, no. Thank you, Chuck. No. And what this really shows us, what we've really looked at, I picked out these examples, because it shows us that Sarah is not a perfect woman. But God is still working through her. And Abraham, despite all their imperfections. So the story goes on. Um, they pull the whole Sarah's my sister thing again with Abimelech to get out of trouble. It doesn't work. That situation gets cleared up. And finally, 25 years of waiting, at the age of 90, Sarah gives birth to Isaac, which means laughter in Hebrew, ironically. I think it's both a, a name of joy um, and it's also a callback to when Sarah and Abraham both laughed at these, this promise. A um, little side story. 
uh, my brother Isaac uh, was not expected, put it that way. And when my mom told my dad that she was pregnant, my dad laughed. <laughs> he goes, <laughs> which is why Isaac has his name. <laughs> but he is a blessing and joy to this world. Similar situation, though. So Sarah has Isaac, the, the child that is going to start this nation, finally. And Sarah ends up dying at the age of 127 years old. And we take a look at Sarah's lives, and we can obviously see both good and bad things, right? She was definitely brave. She was willing to leave her home in faith. She trusted in God. She, she moved to a new land at an old age. And, you know, was patiently waiting all this time, didn't give up. She was still here, willing to follow through with God's plan. She was there and participating, but she was also made a lot of mistakes. She lied about who she was on many occasions. She laughed in God's face. She had the bad idea with Abraham and Hagar. And despite all of her imperfections, we see this account. Let me show you here, nearly 2,000 years after this in Romans chapter 9. But it's not as though the word of God has failed. For they are not all Israel who are descendants from Israel, nor are they all children, because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac your descendants shall be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. But the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come. And Sarah will have a son. We just read those words. And not only that, but there was also Rebecca. When she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For, through, for though the twins were not yet born and had not yet done anything good or bad, so that God's pur- uh, purpose, according to his choice, would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. So what is Paul saying here? First of all, he's calling out Sarah by name. It's not very often that someone is so vividly remembered 2,000 years after their death. Right? There have literally been billions of mothers. Name 15 of them that lived 4,000 years ago. Right? Sarah is definitely one of them. There's not many you can name, though. So despite all of Sarah's failures... Here she is, mentioned as the mother of the nation that brought salvation to the world through her great, 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 grandson Jesus, right? Think about the impact that she had, despite her imperfections and mistakes. And what is very clear here, very important, is that it's God's promises and God's power that makes this all work. It's God's choice and his purpose that is being carried out. is by his power. And that's what's really important here. And I think it teaches us some valuable lessons when we look at these uh, stories and this verse this morning. Number one, very clearly, you do not have to be perfect. In fact, no one is. God works through imperfect people because that's how he's decided to work. So you can take a deep breath. Just breathe in. 
take, take some pressure off yourself, especially mothers. You don't have to be a perfect mom. And we can even apply that even further out. You don't have to be a perfect parent. You don't have to be a perfect brother or father or sister. You don't have to be perfect at anything for God to work through you, right? You don't have to be perfect. However, we do need to keep in mind that the Bible does lay out clear guidelines for us. It does call us to a way of living that we need to aim at. God does have high standards, and he wants us to live a certain way. Knowing that we're going to fall short of that at some points does not bar us from striving towards those goals and those ideals. So on top of that, on the point of God working through Sarah despite her imperfections, it leads us to the second thing I think we really need to realize here is that God is the one who does the work, right? In Romans 9, Paul makes it clear that it isn't the work of man, it isn't being a physical descendant that makes you special, but rather it is God's power and his promises that do the special and amazing work. It is God who called Abraham and Sarah. It is God who caused them to conceive. It was God who formed them and their descendants into a nation. It was God who made the promises. It was God who gave them the land. It wasn't Abraham's idea to move. It wasn't Sarah's idea to have a baby at 90 years old. It was all God. All of it. And that's what Romans 9 really says, is that this is the reality of our lives too. It's God's promises. It's God's power that really matters here. And if we can't be perfect, if it's not based on our works and our perfection, what then are we to do? What role do we play? Our role is to believe and trust. That simple. That's really what the story of imperfection is all about. Is knowing that God is the one able to do anything. It was Abraham's belief that was accounted to him as righteousness, not his work. It was Sarah's faith that God used to bring about his nation. So when you think you are failing, when you're misstepping, when you make a mistake, when you say something you shouldn't, when you uh, do something wrong, you hurt someone, come back to the example of Sarah, who being imperfect, the imperfect mother with an imperfect husband, with an imperfect family and an imperfect faith, look what she was able to do. Founding a nation, being the mother of many kings, all because of her belief and trust in God. God was the one to do it, but her belief and faith was what allowed her to become the person that God wanted her to be. Because God was working through her. So, this Mother's Day... Like I said, you can take a deep breath and look at God's greatness above all else. And take some time intentionally to thank those women in your life who have worked hard to help you, to love you, and care for you. And even though those women are not perfect, they never will be, that's okay. Because God, because the God we worship is perfect. And he can do some amazing things through some imperfect people. Before we pray, uh, I want to let everybody know we have a Mother's Day gift for you. We have some really cute hand soap from Bath and Body Works out on the table. Every woman can pick one. 
I see Carl's little arms of celebration back there. Personally, I think the strawberry shortcake is the best scent, but I'll leave that up to you. Let's go ahead and pray. God, I thank you so much for giving us um, some realistic examples of uh, what it looks like to follow obediently with you. And even though we know that we aren't perfect, that we're going to fail, we know that your power overcomes that. That your power can overcome everything in our lives, even death. We pray that uh, this day we bestow some special honor on those women in our lives who have made a great impact. And I just pray that you uh, lift them up as well and bless them. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.